Um, uh, for those of you who are new or have been elsewhere for the past few weeks, uh, we are walking through the book of John, specifically looking for the seven that, at the seven signs that he builds his gospel around. So real basic, uh, there are four biographies of Jesus called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, they're the, the story uh, of, of Jesus' life. And um, John wrote his, the latest of all of them, and he builds his gospel around seven miracles that he feels like stand out. So he bookends, with, with, he bookends his uh, gospel with a couple of verses uh, that say essentially the same thing. Uh, one, he says, God became flesh, and here's what it looks like for God to walk and, and exude grace and truth and the glory of God. These, these signs show us what that means. He closes the last sentences in his gospel are, you know what, if Jesus, if I were to write down all the things that Jesus did, there wouldn't be enough room. Like there's no way I could write down all the stuff he did, but these signs that I'm writing about really uh, show what it means for God to have walked among us. So when we see these signs um, that's what we're looking at. So uh, the first sign was um, uh, Jesus, what? Turning water into wine. He made 180 gallons of wine to save a party. That's the first sign of God uh, in the flesh. The second one um, was he healed the royal official's son. Um, the royal official was the the. the unlikable politician. So picture whichever of the candidates you like the least. And, and he did a miracle for him or her. And um, uh, kind of saying, you know what, God is here and God is for everybody. And then Jesus broke some of the religion laws to do his uh, next sign. Kind of saying, I'm not about religion. Your man-made rituals and stuff like that, um, I don't adhere to, to those Things. And then Jesus uh, fed 5,000 people with some bread and fish. Um, and then this, um, what is that, one, two, three, four, this fifth miracle um, took place within the same like 24-hour time frame as, as that um, um, miraculous feeding of, of the 5,000, which was actually probably more like 10,000 or more. Um, so yeah, before we talk about Jesus walking on water, here's what I want you to get marinating deep in your, in your spirit, okay? If you could do anything for God, anything for God's kingdom, if God came to you and said, hey, what do you want to do, Mark? What do you want to do with your life for my kingdom? I will support you. You will not fail. What do you want to do, Pam? Uh, what, how are you going to answer that? What's that thing that if you could do anything and knew you couldn't fail, you would this just kind of let that marinate while we walk through this uh, very famous miracle of Jesus. Oh, one more thing. That's the Sea of Galilee, like the real one. Um, it, it's like we're standing in Capernaum, which was Jesus' sort of home base. It's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and we're looking out. And somewhere out in that expanse there. Is, is where this miracle would have happened. Uh, archaeologists believe that up there in the top right corner, uh, which is about six miles away um, from the shore here, uh, that's where the, the multiplication of the bread and fish happened. And so we're talking about the span in between here and there. So there was a day when you could have literally stood on the shores and looked out and seen this scene happen. Okay, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. 
Uh, when evening came, so Jesus had just fed all the, the crowd. Um, when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. By now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, it's me, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. So uh, this miracle is mentioned in a few of the different Gospels. Um, And and I want to look at at the same account in the book of Matthew, same miracle covered by a different set of eyes. Um, And and we're going to see a different part of this story emerge from Matthew's account, and then we're going to hang out there, okay? So Matthew 14. We learn these details. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So this is you know, right after the, the bread and fish. And after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to pray. Jesus would regularly go off by himself to pray. So if we say we follow Jesus, that means that that's something that we need to have in our life as well. Times where we leave the crowd and go by ourselves to pray for extended periods of time. Um, Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind uh, was against it. And shortly before dawn, so it's choppy, the lake's choppy, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. I just still, I wonder if there were people like, the Sea of Galilee is is set up like a big bowl. And um, you couldn't help but um, like look out over that lake and, and, and there would have surely been people up late, whatever, looking out, seeing a man walk across the water uh, toward a boat out there in the middle of the lake. Anyway, uh, Jesus went out walking. uh, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Uh, But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's It's me. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied. Now, Peter's hometown was Capernaum, where they were headed. Um, If it's you, then tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. So let's talk for a minute about Peter. Um, I I just want to kind of focus in on what we can learn from this encounter uh, with Peter out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. So, uh, don't know if you have any thoughts about Peter. For some, he's the, 
the guy who sits at the pearly gates, at least according to Coldplay, and uh, welcomes people in. Um, to others, um, he's like, a, how many of you grew up Catholic? Okay, for those of you who grew up Catholic, he was the first pope. Um, so many with a Catholic background would say Peter's the first pope. Maybe you've seen some of the stained glass representations with the hat and the hand signs and things like that. So Peter kind of lives in your mind as the, as the stained glass Peter. Um, ornate robes and things like that. For others of you, uh, he's the guy who nearly drowned in a miracle. Jesus once called him Satan, and he denied Jesus a few times. Uh, all of those biblically accurate. Um, but really, when, when I was in Israel uh, a few years ago, one of the big takeaways for me <clears throat> was learning who Peter really was, and it all boils down to one sentence in the book of Luke. I'm going to read you this one sentence, and you are going to be blown away. Okay, here it is. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Does that not unlock the scriptures? So here are the implications from that one simple verse. Um, Simon is Peter, same, same guy, and they got into a boat that he owned. Now, in the ancient days, in the lifetime of Jesus, there were haves and there were have-nots. The vast majority were have-nots. And you, it was not like America today where you can be born in about any context and work hard and, you know, bootstraps and rise above and get out of poverty or whatever. This was, you were pretty much on, you know, headed down a chute that would end up exactly where your parents were. You didn't claw your way out. So the fact that there would have been very few boats on the Sea of Galilee. A lot of them would have been owned by the Roman Empire, um, army and things like that. There were very few people who owned boats or would have had the means for that. But what we learn is that Peter had his own fishing business. He was a somebody. He would have almost certainly had wealth and influence affluence. He was a go-getter, educated. Peter was a somebody. In fact, it's reasonable, it's a probability that a few of the disciples that Jesus called actually worked for Peter. Like he was their boss. He was an entrepreneur, a businessman, a pillar of the community. Now here's why that matters. Peter had something to lose. It meant something for Peter to say yes to Jesus. It was not near the risk for the other disciples to follow Jesus. Their boss was, their meal ticket was following Jesus, sure. But Peter had a client base to look after. He had a business to run. He had already made it. He's going to leave his life now. Archaeologists have uncovered what was almost certainly Peter's home. It was like, it was a lakeside home with a view across the Sea of Galilee, right across the street from the synagogue, the center of Jewish life. He was going to risk all that to follow some unknown rabbi. So that's the, that's the, the, the spirit of, of Peter he, he was that kind of guy, and he had something to lose. And this is relevant to us, because if we want to follow Jesus, a lot of times it, we're risking something. If we want to take steps with, with Jesus, like even, even simple things, if, if we're going to really spend time with Jesus and read Scripture, 
There may be some costly sacrifices we have to make to our schedule. Are we really willing to go all in when we have something to lose? Now, you know, it's not like going on a foreign mission, you know, whatever, to Afghanistan or something like that. But if we're going to sacrifice our time to spend with Jesus, uh, we could sacrifice some gym time, some hobby time, some television time, some sleep. There are real things that cost us if we're going to say yes to Jesus. There may be some jobs that we need to walk away from. Some relationships that we need to end if we're really going to say yes to Jesus. Some family that we may offend and disappoint. You know, like I, I, some of you um, have struggled through uh, baptism by immersion, feeling like, yeah, that biblically that's a step to say yes to Jesus. And, and you risk to do that step because your family may be offended by that, really questioning what's going on. What have they gotten themselves into? To say yes to Jesus. So the big steps like that. Maybe risk some social reputation. At work or at school or in the neighborhood. To say yes to Jesus. To jump all in. And there are plenty of people who count the cost. Of really going all in with Jesus. And, and decide now they're just not willing to pay that. And so they remain uh, just people who go to church. They remain religious people who maybe trade, um, you know, will take the uh, go to church, um, swear a little bit less, and not tell dirty jokes, um, but really taking the steps to follow Jesus and do great things for him, we're not quite ready to get into that realm of saying yes to Jesus. So, with that same inclination, like that Peter had that all-in kind of spirit that led him to follow Jesus and, and, and risk his business and his lifestyle, it also had him out there standing on the water. He got out of the boat and he starts walking to Jesus on the water. And then the Bible says this, this crazy thing. <clears throat> it says he saw the what? He saw the wind. I don't even know how you do that. But he saw the wind, and I assume it's, 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 it's uh, Matthew saying he started to look at the physical world around him and thought, this is crazy. And he begins to doubt himself. You know, Jesus said, why did you doubt? And I don't think that he's doubting Jesus. Jesus is standing there on the, there's nothing to doubt. He doubted himself, his own abilities, and I think that's the thing that gets us. It's not that we don't believe that God could really do something great, even if it's through us. It's we look at ourselves, we look at the physical environment around us and our own limitations, and we, we buckle. You know, there are times, I said this in the first service, there are times when I'm up here that, that I'll be in the middle, like it, it hits, I'm not even expecting it, I'll be working through my stuff and it just hits. It is ridiculous, Alex, that you are standing up here talking to people about what to do in their walk with God and they're actually listening to you. It's just ridiculous. Ridiculous that God, and I mean, this, seriously, it is ridiculous that God would orchestrate something like this and not just like strike me dead and on to the next one. God does, like, I should just like fall down and, 
No, if that happens, get the defri- I'm not get the defibrillator and do the thing because I'm not. <laughs> um, but God, God just does ridiculous things through ridiculous people because they're willing to get out of the boat and do something. And it's with people who are a mess still and don't have their life in perfect order and even don't know much about the Bible. They're just willing to say yes and take steps. And all of a sudden, God starts to use them, and they get somewhere. And there are plenty of times where they try and they fail. Like you look at Peter. He would say yes, and he would go run, and then he would fail. And Jesus would pick him up, and they would start over. And eventually, Peter became a great leader who did amazing things for God because he was willing to say, I don't care. I'm going for it. And that's what God is looking for, and that's all that God needs from you is the, number one, you're looking what do you want me to do? And then you're saying, you know what, I may fail, but I'm, I'm all in. I'm going for it. I'm walking. I'm getting out of the boat. Now, um, uh, lately, <clears throat> partly because we have so many new people, I, I, I've been trying to wrestle through, like when people ask me, so tell me about your church. Um, what do I say? How do I define it and describe it? Something simple, just got, you know, kind of saying, God, who are we really now that we're in our building, now that we, you know, whatever, who, what should I say about this? And I feel like, like the, the, the phrase is, is a little bit ridiculous in and of itself because it's bigger than what I, I'm even comfortable with. Um, so if you look at the Webster's uh, Dictionary, uh, and the definition of a movement is like a group of people uh, pushing a cause. A group of people that are getting something done, you know, achieving an end together. Um, and, and really, uh, a few years back, God said, I want you to all of us, uh, take Isaiah 58 out to the world. Isaiah 58 is God's call to care for the under-resourced. Go do something about something out there. And, and we've done that. Like it's happening. So we really are an Isaiah 58 movement. And a lot of times I think, oh man, it's, you, know, you think movement, you think global, you think, but really, there are children in Ecuador and all over the world now that are benefiting from you guys sponsoring kids and everything else, and certainly locally, uh, all kinds of people, uh, we really have become an Isaiah 58 movement. Now, it's going to get bigger. We're just getting started. But as we do that, what I see is people take steps, and they, uh, God stretches them, and they become better disciples. Some of you are better disciples because of Isaiah 58, because you're doing stuff that you're uncomfortable with. And then as you go do stuff, uh, I think about even our preschool, um, people learn that Jesus really does love them, or their faith is strengthened, and they become better disciples. So we are an Isaiah 58 movement that makes disciples. And while I'm humbled by that, I'm good with that. Like, I could get done with my ministry career and say, you know what, I worked on an Isaiah 58 movement that made disciples. And I would say, you know what, that, that's a great thing to have right at my funeral. I'm good with that on my tombstone. Um, I want everybody here, and God wants everybody here to be a part of that movement and to believe that God wants more from you than just hanging out on a Sunday, than just swearing less and listening to the fish. I mean, those are all positives. But God wants action. 
He wants you to be a part of the movement, and it's a matter of, he wants you out of the boat. And there are people all through Polaris that have made that step. Take a look. April. Those are just a few of the stories from uh, many of you who are doing a lot of great things, getting out of the boat, walking, uh, band, and, and singers can come on up. Uh, I just a couple closing thoughts here. I, I want I want every one of you to have those kinds of stories. I want uh, your life to be about taking next steps with God. And so here, last thought: um, that night, as they were all back in the boat, headed to shore. Um, there may have been a few who thought, man, I'm glad I didn't get out of the boat and look like a fool sinking. But my guess is that the vast majority were thinking, dang, why couldn't I have gotten out and tried and walked on the water? And I often wonder if John maybe didn't regret, maybe the reason that story didn't make his gospel was because he always thought, man, I wish that I would have been the one to say. And... and um, um, there's an experience with God. Uh, the, one of the threads, if you listen to the emotion of the people that shared, and thanks for those of you that were a part of that, of, of as they talk about their relationship with God through that, there's just something different when you say yes and try something and you see um, God respond and experience Him in both success and failure you're engaged with God and moving in life with God. Nothing can replace that. And so I hope that all of you are willing to hop out of the boat and give it a shot and, and step by step just um, get where God wants you to go alongside him. So I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to do one last song. Um, and think about that thing, whatever that big thing is, and maybe there's a step that you need to take toward that. What are you going to do with God? What's your next step with Him? Um, during this song, if you have anything that you need to pray for, um, did I see Larry in here? Okay, there's Larry. Larry will hang up. Larry's one of our elders. He'll pray with you. I'll hang up on the other side. Anything at all that you want to pray about, Jacqueline's over there as well. Um, Anything you want to pray about could be job, could be family, could be your next step with God, whatever. Just come on up while they're singing, and, um, and we'll pray together. Uh, God, thank you for um, walking among us. And not only did you walk and show us what you could do, you said, why don't you come and walk on the water as well? You invite us into amazing places. Um, you see more. You see more in us than we see in ourselves. You don't even see the wind. <laughs> and um, I want to pray that you would give us that kind of faith where we don't see the wind, we don't see the waves, we just see you and have the courage to do great things with you. In Jesus' name, amen.